Hi, Rico. Hey, Tiago. After the tremendously successful launch of our first episode, <laughs> where I think we had 18 listeners and we can probably track like 16 of those down to family <laughs> members and friends. So we're going to continue today. The idea was we're going to talk a little bit about transformation patterns and that question about, okay, if you want to introduce change in an organization, how can you do it? Then I would, well, maybe go through what I think are a couple of transformation patterns. And the idea is, okay, we're going to be discussing these and talking a little bit about our experiences and sharing some stories on that, right? So I would like to start with this transformation pattern that I've, so I experienced it before. I first heard it get a name um, in a training I had with uh, Michael Sahota, just mm -hmm. to give credit where credit is due. And he would call this pattern the culture bubbles. And I like that name a lot. I started using it since, uh, since I heard it that time. And I think, well, that's the transformation pattern I see used a lot. And mm -hmm. maybe I can describe it initially uh, a little bit. So the idea of a culture bubble is if you want to start doing agile in an organization, but you don't have maybe C-level support or the organization is hesitant uh, to do something larger, um, so it tends to be like in a department or something like that, you start doing agile within that department with the knowledge that you cannot change like the rest of the organization because you don't have that kind of scope or power right now. And you create a little culture bubble in your department, right? So the idea is you're going to remain compatible with the mm -hmm. organizations. The idea of this, like the cultural APIs you develop so that you're not pushing the change on other people. And if somebody's asking for some, you know, super detailed waterfall reports about whatever, you still provide that, like you're not forcing other people to change, but within your domain and within the, your sphere of influence or power, you start to change what you can and you create a little agile bubble in there, right? And, and that's the basic pattern. Um, so the first place I experienced this really was at, uh, well, one of the male operators uh, here in Europe. And it was exactly that. Like it's what I think is a typical pattern. It was a mid-level manager so not a nobody. Um, he had like, I don't know, between 70 or 90 people like under his uh, command. And, and he saw the light, right? He said, okay, I have a problem. Things aren't working well. I want to do agile. And so he got a couple of coaches in there. I was one of them. And we started working with his teams and setting up scrum teams. And, and it worked really, really well. Right. And I think like, for example, there, mm -hmm. one of the characteristics I see it's working. Why does it work? One, we had management support. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I can give him his name. That's not a problem. I'll just use his first name. So there was Hirt, mm -hmm. uh, uh, a Flemish name I still cannot pronounce. You because your, of the, pronunci uh, your pronunciation there. Because of the freaking G. Um, but yeah, anyway, so Hirt got it. He understood it. And he created like, he took some pressure from the organization to create that bubble for us people were hesitant and you know is this going to work or not especially a lot of the project managers are pushing back and Hirt was like no this is the way we're going to work and we're going to keep delivering and it's going to be fine and he worked with us to talk to the business and he bought us some time right and and what happened in the end is okay it started growing we managed to set up uh it was quite a few scrum teams in there basically by the end everybody was doing scrum and slowly but surely, and that's the thing with this culture, cultural bubble pattern, in the beginning, it's a bit frustrating because, I don't know, like when you have your retrospectives, or whatever, a lot of the problems coming up 
are things you can't change, right? Ah, we don't have access to this environment, or we don't have the permission to do this, or we can't get a designer in the team because the design department says they don't want to play along. And it's frustrating because you can't just escalate it to solve it because the answer from the other department is, <laughs> I don't care what you guys are doing. Like, I'm not changing. <laughs> and, but what happens quite quickly, we, we experienced after three, four months, because, of course, the rest of the organization is doing waterfall and they're so slow and bureaucratic and all the frustrations that come with that, the business people who are working with our teams very quickly were like, all right, I have no idea what you guys are doing, but I like this. Like, this mm -hmm. is better than what I was getting before. It's not perfect. There's still a bunch of problems. But one, I'm aware of those problems. You're asking me, like, you know, my how do we solve this problem? I'm being involved. I'm seeing progress. And very quickly, we started, you know, people just left us alone. It became clear, okay, those guys over there, Hertz teams, they just do whatever they do. We don't get it. And it was growing and working well. Okay. So Did you experience similar things? Yeah. So this is a culture bubble approach, yeah. right? And what I wanted to talk a little bit there is like, you know, the what goes well on those approaches, what doesn't go well, what are some of the problems you can have, right? Um, I don't know. Have you seen this in a client before? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I mean, this is my favorite type. Right, it is. Uh, isn't, I think I've seen the culture bubble, seen the one from uh, bubbling from below, and also the ones that uh, come mandated from the top. But this one is definitely my favorite one because it's, it's really one of those that uh, it, the, the energy comes from within, from the people implicated in the effort to make the change. Are the people? doing it there's nobody else who wants a check mark on their cv who wants this to, to work well no no i want to do it because i want it better for myself right so yeah, i had a um let's say i'm currently living this experience with a, as a global fmcg company uh, where i got pulled in after they went to one of our trainings said look whatever sausage you guys sold to us i want it uh, let's do it and I said, all right, so what's your uh, objective? What, what are your goals? Look, somebody at the top said Agile, and somebody else said Agile, and somebody else said Agile, and now there's like this kind of almost a race to make Agile something. Uh, and right there, I, I was, I have to say, I was a bit frustrated because I was like, how come people don't have clear goals exactly what they want? And I remember that I'm also a person who think I have a goal and it's not some, sometimes clear. And for me, uh, you know, looking back now, it's easy to say that it's like became the ultimate experimentation goal. Like, look, this agile thing. Great. I hear what you're saying in the training, but would he work here? Yeah, but what would you like to work? I don't know. Let's just put it somewhere and let's see what happens, right? And it was kind of a frustrating back and forth. So at some point I said, okay, let's just do it like, uh, I don't know, we're going to be best, better at Agile. Uh, what, what does that mean? We're going to have, uh, I don't know, the, the typical faster delivery, good collaboration. All right, let's go for that. And you start uh, playing around with different uh, projects and we got quite some, uh, some good results. And that good results became like a gambler's thing. Like you just took that parlayed into a bit of a marketing uh, PPT. No, that's the, the language of big corporations. Like, oh, I have a PPT for that. So we had a PPT for the results that we had for this one uh, uh, project. Then we put it out there. Somebody else said, hey, uh, can you do something for me? So they started pulling. And that was, you know, and that is the most powerful 
seat to have right there. It's when they're pulling you to say, hey, can you help me? Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. Uh, but you, okay, so you get to pick what you're working on. And, and that has been uh, very good. And the other uh, very positive thing that uh, happened there, kind of a parallel track, is that we started doing, you know, uh, almost like public trainings inside of the company. And people would come to these trainings, they would hear about it, they would like it, and they say, okay, I, I want to do this, I want to do this. Uh, so it, that became two channels of, uh, uh, two marketing channels for us, the trainings and the successes. Yeah, and I think you hit on a on one of the key points, I think, of this transformation pattern, which is it is by definition a pull-type pattern, right? Yeah. So um, it's a bit like rock and roll, right? So what happens is that like, you create, there is like you, you're fighting against the man, right? Yeah. So one thing Hertz did for sure that's necessary. He sold that vision internally in his department, right? So you go there and you talk to the teams and you're open and you say, here's what we're going to do and here's the plan and here's why I want to change. And more likely than not, the teams are going to buy in because let's be honest, in these big bureaucratic hierarchical organizations, if you're coming with a with a rock and roll type pitch, like we're going to change things here and we're the gorilla and we're going to like, you know, uh, revolutionize things and we're going to empower you guys, like people tend to buy in, right? And they like to be being talked to like adults. Um, but the beauty of it is that, like, so you create this internal cohesion because you're fighting against the existing culture and, like, you know, the slow bureaucratic thing. But you're not forcing anybody else to change. And then you're going to have two basic choices. You're successful and your team starts delivering, or you're not. If you're not, then Hirt gets fired, you know, our contracts get canceled, and we move on. But that's not what happened. What happened is those teams started kicking ass and they started delivering. Mm -hmm. And... And then very, very quickly, it's like Hertz peers, the guys like, so Hertz reports to his like N plus one and his peers reporting on to the same guy are getting jealous, right? Because Hertz getting a lot of attention and like, you know, there's like an article on the newsletter, on the internal newsletter about like the way we're working and, you know, little things start popping up, right? And so it's just like you said, the next step is one of them comes over to Hertz and says, hey, can you explain to me what you're doing here? Yeah. And that question, that's the pull, right? I'm not, we're not forcing that guy to change. That guy is curious to learn. Yeah. And then it's just much, much easier. Yeah, and I think there, uh, a, key, uh, a key learning that I've had so far is the marketing that you have to do. You know, is that I've always been uncomfortable with marketing in the sense of, oh, why would I sing my praises? But there is that, uh, if you flip it around a bit and say, it's like, if you're not marketing, somebody else is. And, you know, if is there somebody you know, is there a better way to work is there somebody you know uh saying you know trying to teach people to work differently like it cannot be better than this right so i'm a hard believer in this so extremely like okay agile can do a lot of things for uh, uh for companies for people for families uh so if i'm not talking somebody else is talking and if i believe in my vision why shouldn't i preach right and it becomes a bit like oh man i Am I going to start a cult now? But it is, it is a thing of, you know, if almost like if you have done it and if you, and you haven't marketed it, you haven't done it. Right. And, and that is a, a thing I'm learning for the, I almost feel like I wasted so much of my years, not focusing on the external side of it all. Um, especially the, uh, especially now that I'm doing a lot more trainings, whenever you have to 
tell somebody something, you learn so much yourself. And I think that's the exercise that we need to do. Uh, you're doing an, a, a transformation, a small team, you're helping them, they're succeeding, they're doing all these things. Okay, just say those things out loud, to the, to the void, to nobody. Just that exercise is going to make it more concrete in your head. You're going to get clarity yourself, right? And, and that itself has been a huge learning for me. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point, right? You need to... You need to create the opportunity for those pull situations to emerge, right? Because if nobody knows what you're doing, nobody's going to ask questions and then you're stuck in the bubble, right? Which brings us, I think, to the downside of this approach, right? So there's two things. Yeah. One is you need a hit because I've seen teams try to do this alone. Mm. But if you're like, if you don't have a, uh, I don't know, there's like, there's like a minimum size you need here. And if you're just one team and your manager's not supporting, nobody's supporting it, sure, you can implement a Scrum or whatever you want, and it'll probably help you a little bit just because you're making things transparent and just in the team you can work. But it's never going to be a... Yeah, you lack momentum, basically, right? So you need a hit. And, and that's the other thing, right? The other downside is if those pull situations don't happen for whatever reason and... I don't know. I don't know if we were lucky that those projects started in delivering. I don't believe so. I think mm -hmm. like there was a lot of factors into play that why we were delivering. But if you're not delivering or if you're not marketing yourself, like you say, or if you're not mm -hmm. creating that buzz and that bubble doesn't grow with time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that means your improvement is capped also, right? There's only so much you can change. And at a certain point, the team can start getting demotivated because it's like, ah, look at all these great things we could be doing, but we can't and nothing changes here and it's all the same. Uh -huh. So, yeah. That would be one of the risks there. So, culture um, bubbles are favorite, right? All right, good. What? Already in the previous one, like you keep saying like you like working at that like I don't know. You're like the gorilla guy. You like working in the the rock and roll guy. It's us against the man. We're gonna change it from the <laughs> inside. Um, it's it's definitely the most fun to work with. Yeah, I think yeah. because of that. <clears throat> yeah, voila. That's it. Like I'm not dealing with. Uh, 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 there's little impediment in the sense of uh, legal unions. This, like, it, it is yeah. kind of you're in this little bubble. We're just doing rock and roll. It's like maybe, maybe there is a luxury position where you're just doing the good things, uh, the, the the fun things, the easy things. And, and that is the downside of this: that you get the perception of, yeah, fine, you got that there, but not here, and where it's hard. Yes, exactly. And I think it's perfect, like you said. You're not dealing with a lot of the other stuff you have to deal with once you move a level higher, right? Um, so, maybe to move on. The, another possibility here, which is what, uh, well, we both did. It's one of the projects we worked on together. Uh, this transformation at, like, one of the biggest European banks, right? Mm -hmm. And at the start, what they did was well, let's call it the incubator approach, right? Yeah. So basically they create an incubator and in that incubator you start pulling in pilots, pilot projects that you're going to run in an agile way um, so the organization can learn about agility and how they can roll this out at a bigger scale, right? And that's the basic pattern. And it's different from the culture bubble because the incubator pattern is a virtual pattern. Mm -hmm. Like when you join the incubator, your boss doesn't change or like mm -hmm. you still belong in the same place in the organization. It's just for the moment you're in this virtual construct working in this team. Um, yeah. So a couple of things about that pattern. So how do we run it at the bank? Right. Again, another pattern that I think 
can generate results. It worked well at the bank. Um, you can also create those poll opportunities we're saying. How do we do it in the incubator, for example? When we created the incubator, we had like, you know, what is the incubator? What are the services we provide? So we had a couple of coaches in there uh, at the start, right? When, how is that going to work? But then we asked the company, the bank basically saying, okay, if you want your project running in an agile, well, here's what agile is. And if you want your project running in an agile way, we have the incubator, you're free to apply to have your project run in here. Mm -hmm. But that apply was like important because we're not asking them, hey, I want your project in here. It's just like, here's where we are, here's the services provide, we're gonna you know, run your project in an agile way, let us know if you're interested. So by definition, the people who say, hey, I'm interested, that's a poll, right? They're asking mm -hmm. for that change. And then it enables us to have something like, uh, I don't know, entry requirements, you know? Okay, great, but your project doesn't qualify unless, I don't know, the business agrees to be the product mm -hmm. owner. The team is going to be dedicated to this project. They're not working like 20% here, 20% somewhere else, whatever, etc. So you can add some entry requirements so that you can make sure the projects you do get, you have a chance to impact change there. Yeah. And even there, it's like you, uh, I remember having this exact conversation with somebody at this uh, um, global FMCG company. Um, and they said, well, but then you're cherry picking. I said, look, at first, I was like, mm, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm cherry picking. But no, no, I'm cherry picking the projects that will benefit from this thing. I'm not trying to change the whole entire company. I'm saying, look, uh, there are things that work well in, a, in an agile way. Uh, maybe some things don't benefit from it. And, or I don't know how to help you get the benefits from it. So these ones, for sure, I know. So I constrain my, uh, my pool of uh, potential uh, projects in order to give you the, the best value, right? And that cherry picking allows you to experiment. One of the downsides with the culture mm. bubble, uh, so in this postal operator, the culture bubble was within the tracked mail environment, right? But it means that all the work we're going to do with those agile teams is work related to track to this value stream of tracked mail. Mm. Um, when you take the incubator approach, you can afford to experiment with different areas of the organization. Ah, let's try a customer facing project. Let's try an internal project. Let's try something with infrastructure. Let's try, try something with HR. And you can try different projects in there. So you, you're able to learn faster about the problems you're going to have in the organization, right? Because you can run very different experiments. Um, the, one of the downsides there, of course, is if your experiments are successful, what you'll hear, and it's not, it's a valid criticism, right? It's like, well, yes, you were successful, but this project is not representative of how things work here, right? It's in an incubator, everybody's dedicated, it's like a special status, so if those people are getting asked to do something else, they're like, no, no, I'm in the incubator, I'm special. So that pilot will get additional attention, and there's a little bit of that Hawthorne effect that, you know, because we're focusing on it, it does well. <laughs> it doesn't mean that other projects in infrastructure or whatever domain you're in are gonna go well also, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think what happened at the bank, right? you're gonna run into the typical problems you have when you're trying to run a project in a different way. And, and those learnings enable you to capture, or to let's say, prepare for that uh, sort of, for the death of the incubator, right? Because at, at a certain point in time, as an organization, you can't just have, well, you, you could, but I mean, it's weird having an incubator forever, right? Where like, because the incubator is gonna have a limit of size. You can't have like 10,000 people in the incubator. Then it's like, okay, then it's its own company. So for, for us at the bank, the size limit ended up being about 150, right? The Dunbar number. And, 
And after that, you have a decision to make. So what do we do? <laughs> like, is this for real? Are we, do we move this change back into the organization? Do we kill the virtual construct and move the changes back into the organization? Or do we kill this? And you learn a lot for that moving the change back. But as opposed to the culture bubble, you still have a lot of the hard work to do. In the culture bubble, you know, Hertz department, it was changed already. Like, that's mm -hmm. it. Like, if you look at the, if you looked at the time with the, the organogram uh, for the organization, Hertz department is an agile department and everybody else is doing what they were doing before. With the incubator, it's not like that, right? And you have uh, some challenges there. Um, which maybe connects well to the last uh, transformation pattern. I'm working on segues, so we're going to get better at this. Uh, <laughs> but that's a, so what happened to that incubator? Which, the, which road did they choose, Tiago? <laughs> the narrator says their journey was not done at the end of the incubator. <laughs> no. But okay, the incubator, there's also a bit of a strategy behind it because at the time the CIO was retiring. So the CIO mm -hmm. was sponsoring the incubator, but he was retiring within, I don't know, it was 18 months or something. Um, and what the bank was doing, of course, was experimenting with Agile also to help them decide who's their next CIO in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you want to do this for, for real, then you probably want to put somebody in your CIO seats that knows about this and is going to support this, etc. And so the incubator went really, really well. Most of our projects there were successful. We learned a lot. And new CIO came in and said, we're Agile, right? We're going to transform this whole bank into an Agile bank. And, and that gives us the third transformation pattern, which is the big bang pattern, right? That's like C-level saying, this is what we're doing. And, and it tend, a big bang approach, like the key characteristic of it in comparison to the other two, it tends to be more of a push approach. Of mm -hmm. course, you can do a big scale transformation with not a lot of push, like you can calibrate it a little bit, but it's by definition a push approach. It's by definition leadership saying, hey, we're going to change right um and that's the third pattern and okay clear benefits of that third pattern there it's theoretically impossible that you run into the problem of oh no 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 we can't change this process because that's the way we do things around here and you say what well, no 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 the ceo already said we're agile this is a big bang transformation and we're changing the way we do things around here so that excuse is no longer valid so having leadership support for changes of course as i argued previously really really nice because you can impact a lot more change okay um the problem is they're doing a big bang change before they've changed leadership culture right that's what happened at the bank yeah. so then what happens out oh, we have to do a big program right so the transformation becomes a program that you run like every other program and how do they run programs with a big plan and like we're going to have a predictive planning and so what do they do they create waves and every wave has to like transform a part of the bank in a, in a fixed time and and this creates a lot of push a lot of pressure and you run the risk of your of a disconnect between the message you're giving people and the reality people are experiencing. So the yeah. message you're giving is this agile message of people over processes and empowerment and etc. But what they're feeling is a lot of pressure to just deliver faster, right? And yeah, I have so to it's say, a high risk, high reward. This um, this, this whole uh, project there, like you, you pulled me into it. Oh, we're expanding this and uh, uh, we, we need. You look like you want me to apologize. You look like you want me to apologize for that. <laughs> 
I almost lost it, man. I, I almost said, you know, this whole uh, agile BS, you know, there, you know, you cannot do this. Uh, no, it was it was very frustrating because indeed you, you run into this this huge dream, and you know, this agile becomes this uh, how do you say that Rorschach thing that you you know people see whatever they want in it, right? So agile could mean anything, um, and it just it was just a big project, and you were just one in the middle of this huge sea of bureaucracy and I'm here you know uh, with all my energy my ignorance just throwing myself at these people post-its yes we you know we have to do this we have to think you have to collaborate and you know every little corner they turn to it's a wall it's a wall and I tell them run over there boom wall run over there boom another wall and so like I lost credibility with myself you know like I had lost with them for uh, for a while. It's very hard to uh, to keep telling them that the only alternative they had were to kind of expand, you know, to reach out outside of their team. Because uh, one of the impediments that the team has is almost none inside of the team. Like they have no impediments inside of them. So now they start, need to resolve impediments outside of their team. Uh, and I remember giving this speech to one of them, and they said. Uh, so, Rico, you, were you telling me it's to, to stop doing what I love doing, which is, you know, programming and all this thing, and to go do some consultancy work to change this whole bank by myself? And then that's when it dawned on me. It's like, wow, wow I'm asking for a lot here. And I think this connects back. So I, what I don't want to say is that the Big Bang approach is it doesn't work. Right. I think it's the idea of it's high risk, high reward. So if you have great leadership and they get it and and they do it, quote unquote, the right way and they're trying not to push and they're involving people in it. Like, yeah, you could change faster and you could have success with that. But it's like because you're placing a big bet and you're changing a lot of things at the same time. You need to get it right. Because if you don't, then change fatigue sets in, agile fatigue sets in, where people like, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you just did a big transformation, big bang transformation, and you did all this nice, uh, you know, speeches about how everything's going to change. And in the end, I'm the guy in the team and I'm like, eh, nothing much has changed. I'm still getting the people screaming at me and I still have mm -hmm. no, don't have a lot of power. Then the next time you try to say, I know, but now we're going to do agile the right way. People are like, yeah, whatever, man. And... Yeah, and you had these old dogs that have seen many a consultant come around, all different colors and sizes. And ah, here's this one here. What is this trick this time? He has post-its. And that is very frustrating. There was a team at the bank, I'll never forget. One of the guys told me, he's like, Tiago, you're a nice guy. I like you. You seem like you know smart and the things you're saying make sense. But you need to understand my perspective. Like, you're the tenth consultant I've seen, like in the last whatever it is, like 10 years I've been here. <laughs> Next year, there's going to be another consultant pitching me something else. So fine, I'll go along, but like, don't expect me to get super excited about this. Uh, I was like, oh man. <laughs> um, which I understand. I empathize with. All right. The, uh, ah, sorry, you wanted to just, say something. Go ahead. Yeah, so because uh, uh, to balance that out a bit, like I, you know, I have been part of a top-level uh, Big Bang transformation. But at the same time, it was not a big bang transformation. It was just a top-level driven uh, transformation with a small engineering company, uh, you know, a pure software company, uh, where the um, uh, 
the manager had come to one of the trainings, or I don't know how he got in touch with him, but they were looking for uh, to drive this change. No, actually, I, I remember the story now. That has nothing to do with that. The, one of the developers saw a video about uh, this audio software company, how they do agile, and he said, you know, as soon as this guy saw it, he said, I want this for my life. My life is this company. I want this here. He came to a training. He loved it. He pulled us in. Uh, so we started training them, right? And this, uh, within a, a couple of months, we got the buy-in from the CEO. And he said, yeah, fine. Okay, go at it. Let's, uh, let's go forward. Do this, right? But it wasn't clear what they meant by doing this. Uh, but we had their support. Kind of, right? They were... They're like, okay, this makes sense, but, uh, you know, I am so many years old. I've been growing these habits over so many years. You're telling me I have to change my habits, right? So this is a, a project that clearly started from IT. So uh, it was like the this core team. So there was a, a bit of an incubator part, but it was not just a little part of it. It was kind of a, a, a core chunk of uh, this um, uh, this company. And they, they invested in it. They, they wanted to, to, to change and they wanted to, to do some things uh, different. What I liked about that is that how this one had a bit of the top-down and the cultural bubble approach, that it, it grew and it starts you know, bumping into the, revealing the, the, the big impediments of the company. One of them was that, yeah, the vision and the product of this company was difficult to get a consensus of, yeah, this is what we want, right? You, yeah, so that started to become more evident. Uh, so I started working with the, let's say, the chief product owner. So the, the guy in charge of the you know, putting together the vision, the, the direction of what are they going to build. And, you know, interacting with him, it was clear that it, it was a crazy world that he was living in. There was just so many uh, uh, signals that he was getting from everywhere. He had to make so many people happy. And it was very, very difficult. Uh, but at least this was visible. And, and the other one that was very interesting is that the HR team reached out to me to help them rethink how they do reviews, how they do bonuses, right? Because we were looking at a whole different structure and, you know, there were people that were um, being evaluated by somebody who they haven't worked with the whole year. Uh, and while this had nothing to do with Agile, this had been doing all the time, but I think because of the openness, because we were preaching some of these things, they were like, all right, let's talk about this. So I, I like how that... Um, it was a bit of a, um, a bubble type of growth there that it started touching all of these things, right? At the end, I don't think we've made a lot, a lot of impact there, but I like how that uh, kind of combined a bit of both. You don't think you made a lot of impact there? I mean, well... That's not okay. what you told me when we weren't recording. <laughs> no, I, I mean in this way, like, I have much bigger dreams for them, right? Ah, okay. I think that's a better way to express yeah. it indeed. Because you've told me a lot of the stories there, so I think you have made a big impact there. It's just, I think it's natural that you see the full potential of what it could be, right? And um, yeah. But I think that's a good example of like the, it's a culture bubble approach, but with sea level support, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's the sea level saying, I want to change, but I won't do a big bang approach. Well, what's the other thing I could do? I'll do a culture bubble. I'll start changing like a product or a department at a time and learning from that. Um, before we go for today so we have a new uh, segment for our podcast the mailbag where our users can send us questions that we can you know we'll select the questions that are appropriate for the topic at hand uh, our, i said users right our listeners i should say 
But uh, since we don't have listeners yet, uh, we've collected some questions from trainings that I'm doing that are linked to what we're discussing, but typical questions I hear in trainings. And so, I don't know, we need a little like jingle or something for our mailbag segment, but fine. So one would be, how can I overcome the resistance to change? I get this a lot in trainings, yeah. right? And I like this question because one of the yeah. things I talk about is that idea of, well, first thing, try to stop pushing people yeah, to change. Yeah, yeah. Try to create those pull moments, right? And if you, the harder you push, usually the harder people are going to resist. Um, so be careful there. Um, this one I love. I, I, I use it a lot also. Like, yeah, don't push. Stop pushing. And that uh, I've seen you do this kind of exercise in a training uh, and it's you can see that you know like you do this exercise and you put him in an awkward position and it's just kind of one-to-one -one, you and somebody else and all of a sudden the other person is there and they go like they see what you're doing the coin drops they go like oh yeah i got it you know how am i gonna handle this now uh oh city thank you uh, my uh the way i like to do it is my one trick pony is visualize uh there is like visualization is like magic you know, it's like if you take the neuroscientist ways, like you're taking all these different neural pathways in your head and put it in outside, right? And outside you can visualize, inspect and adapt and all of that. And what it means is not just you're visualizing yourself, but visualize what's going on around you, right? You're in a meeting and there's somebody resisting and you're just taking open notes. Ah, so, and rephrasing what this person is saying. So you're saying is this and that. And approach it with ignorance, not like a checkmate, I'm going to do this, but just really approach it with ignorance, because most likely you don't know something and the other person doesn't know something, and maybe visualizing will give you a chance for both of you to just learn something, right? Uh, so th that's my big, um, uh, my big hammer there, visualize. I like that a lot, and especially the thing of, this is something I had to learn the hard way, right? That I don't have the right answer. <laughs> Uh, I think I know the problem. I, I you should do this, but context and empathy and like everybody has a reason sometimes. And yeah. Um, all right, we have time for one more question. I work in a waterfall environment. Can my team do agile? So the the thing I try to ex always get people to sort of uh, internalize is this idea that waiting for the perfect moment to do agile or you know doing a whole big planning of like when can we start our agile thing it's the same ideas of waterfall like oh let's do a you know big analysis how agile is like exercise right you should have started doing it 10 years ago if you haven't the best other time to start is today with what you can so but i think there's that culture bubble approach comes very much into play right so take a look at what you can change what you can't Try to, for the things you can change, be as agile as possible in there. And you're going to have to be compatible with the rest of the processes in the organization, those cultural APIs. But then over time, with the things we've been discussing, right, if you're doing some marketing, if you're delivering, if you start creating those opportunities, those poll opportunities where people are coming to you and asking for stuff, you should see that agility sort of progressing uh, mm -hmm. upstream and downstream, right? So towards the business and towards operations, if you're working in software. Uh, so yes, you can definitely start working in Agile in a waterfall yeah. environment. Yeah, I think I'd apply the same hammer here, like just start visualizing your work, right? Because, uh, you know, Agile is very easy, right? Is uh, 
those four uh, principles, okay, in interactions over processes and tools and, and so on. So that, that is possible. The, what I would imagine the situation here is that waterfront environments have got very strong, uh, you know, okay, you do the building, I do the testing over here, and like no team is cross-functional. And that's going to be very hard, right, if you cannot change the makeup of your team. A lot of times I get mis, um, uh, misunderstood for, oh, I need to change the organizational chart. So, no, forget that. That's probably going to be the last thing you actually do. You're going to have to get some informal, some virtual teams going before you even get to there because you have to justify it, right? Uh, so, I would say, it, it's uh, yes, you can always work agile, um, but in a waterfall environment, if I imagine in this person asking this question would be, yeah, it's like our team is not cross-functional. Visualize that. Start, you know, interacting with the people next to you. Can you do that? It's not going to be easy. It's doable. All right, man. Good job. I think we're done with our our second uh, episode. Anything else to add? No. Send us more questions. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> send us questions. Um, I don't know. Can I get a closing Booyakashov with a deep voice? <laughs> We're, I'll, I'll just fact check you, Teo, because we actually have 20 total plays. Uh, and our, uh, our top uh, listeners are from Belgium. There are some from Spain. But Philippines is up there also. So I don't know who, if, who the hell is listening from Philippines, Singapore. Reach out, man. We'd love to talk to you. All right, man. Thanks, Rico. Thanks, Tiago. Take care.